Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word through the Apostle Paul. Father, help me unpack this paragraph. Cause me to be clear and to be accurate and don't leave any of us frail sinners who need to be saved or who are being saved and sanctified. Don't leave us without the work of Your Spirit to see the beauty of the freedom of Christ this morning. To the glory of Jesus, our great Savior. Amen. I've found over 34 years of my Christianity that where so many people get tripped up within the church world is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, that you can be forgiven, saved, or New Testament term, justified by faith. Alone. By grace of God. Alone. Apart from any works that you do. Apart from any change of life or obedience that, that, that is manifested in your lifestyle. And all of that is absolutely true. But what happens so often is that glorious truth gets morphed into the thinking that, oh, okay, so I guess it's possible to be a Christian, to be truly saved in Christ without ever down the road, over time, seeing a pattern of obedience to God as He has revealed Himself in the Word. Obedience to His moral commands. The commands to love others that are being produced by the Holy Spirit in all who believe. I guess I might not be one of those persons, but I'm on my way to heaven. And so the terminology goes, well, you know, they're just carnal Christians. We know she's going to heaven. You know how we know? Because she doesn't want to go to hell. And she did what the church told her to do. Ask Jesus into your heart. She's good to go. 
That Christianity there is a bold-faced deception of Satan. Satan has a team. Angels of light, Paul calls them. Satan loves to preach a perversion of grace. Well, you can be saved. You can be assured of heaven by your acquiescence to, yes, Jesus is the truth. That's the true religion. That's the true way to God. Which, that kind of faith, that doesn't necessarily produce any fruit. It doesn't necessarily produce a holy direction in life. A repentant life. A life of obedience to God's moral commands. Like be in the community of Jesus' body, the bride. Like the Ten Commandments. Oh, you should. Many Christians do. But that's just, you know, icing on the cake. It's not the core of what a Christian is. Consider for a moment what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in Romans 13. He writes to the church, Owe no one anything except to love each other. You owe that. For, why? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments... And he goes to the Ten Commandments here. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment from God are all summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, do you see? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. That's why he quoted the Ten Commandments. Love doesn't steal a neighbor's husband or wife called adultery. Love doesn't steal their stuff. It doesn't slander them or lie about them. It doesn't murder them. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Paul concludes, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of God's Ten Commandments or the law. That's New Testament. That is the shepherd's voice. And his sheep hear his voice. In our passage, as we've been moving through the book of Galatians, just notice that Paul repeats what he already said in verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ set us free. Now verse 13, you were called to freedom. And we saw Paul laid out what that freedom, the freedom of a Christian, means in verses 5 and 6. He says, here's Christianity. Here is the Christian life of freedom. We through the Spirit, by faith, 
we ourselves eagerly look to the future. Eagerly wait for Judgment Day. Wait for the hope of righteousness. Because in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision, all, the, all this legalism counts for nothing. But what counts for everything is faith, which works itself out in loving others. Or, go to the second half of the Ten Commandments. And so Paul says in our text, starting with chapter 5, verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So no one can accurately say, I am saved by faith alone, meaning a faith that stays alone and remains alone without producing a love for God, a love for His commands, a love for His promises, a faith that does not produce obedience to God's commands to love others. Or to put it in the negative, obedience to the prohibitions of unloving behavior like murdering and slandering and killing. You cannot say that. You, you miss Christianity. You, you pervert the Gospel. The faith that saves is the faith that itself is in the process utterly imperfectly, but genuinely working itself out in loving behavior towards others. See, the freedom... And here is the freedom Paul's been talking about in Galatians. The freedom from the idea that you must do anything in order to be saved, in order to be justified. That is the freedom of the Gospel. But that true freedom, which is you don't do anything to get saved, does not in the New Testament lead to a freedom to live in line with your sinful inclinations in a lifestyle pattern of unrepentance. It doesn't. But it seeks, this freedom seeks to love others. And thus finds itself in line as it's doing that with God's moral law. Saving faith, it always is giving rise to an obedience from heart of faith. To whom else do we go? You have the only words of life. It's always the forgiving rise to the fruits of the Spirit of loving others. And that genuine love is pointing back as evidence of true saving. So the question is for every one of us in here. Do you wake up every day seeking to stand firm in the freedom 
for which Christ set you free. Now, do you wait? And the only way you do that is we wake up saying, God, I'm desperate for time. Communion. With you prayerfully through the Scripture where I hear you. Do you wake up that way? And as you do that, and you know you've got a long day of teaching your children or in an office, at work, dealing with human beings, in a marriage, do you prayerfully, therefore, seek, help me love my wife or my husband better? Help me be more caring and compassionate and considerate of my college roommates. Help me to really extend forgiveness to the other. To really pray for that person. To use my time, my money, and my giftings for the sake of fellow believers in my local Church, do you wake up that way? Do you sense within you a desperateness every day for God's power? Or you will not love others. This right there, and it is the core of Christianity. I've got to go vertical so that I can go horizontal. So let's follow our text. If you're there, verse 13, chapter 5, Galatians. The first clause is the foundation upon everything that Paul's going to build on it. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That's it. Freedom is the foundation. And then... He gives two commands. A negative one and a positive one. You're called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But, positively, through love, serve one another. So, first let's notice the positive. Get the flow. If you are a believer, if Jesus is your Savior, if you have come to faith in Him, He says you are free. You're free. You're called to freedom. Therefore, through love, serve one another. Think about Paul's language here. If you remember the context, Back in verse 1, just a few verses earlier, he opened up this way. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And now in verse 13, you are freed from slavery. Now submit to serving. Others. You see it? So that raises the question. Why is it that the 
freedom of a Christian, the freedom of a born-again person who's indwelt by the Spirit, why is it that that leads to serving others through love? To get it, the answer of that, we need to notice the negative command. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, so, so think with me here. Just look, look at your text. You keep your head down, you keep it up, I don't care. Look at it. Contemplate. What is Paul doing here? Do you think, when Paul says that, that he means there are two paths of freedom for a Christian? You can take either one and it leads to heaven. Here's your two paths of Christians. You could live the rest of your life down the path of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires and the lusts of the flesh. Walk that way. There's a path. Oh, there's another path. Serve one another in love. So there's two valid paths of how freedom expresses itself. You think that's what he's saying? You think Paul's saying, freedom means you have no obligation necessarily to treat others with love. Is that what he's saying? You're free from such burdensome commands. Summed up as love your neighbor is yourself. Okay, You can go either way, Christian. Take your pick. We're all going to heaven. But... I just want to urge you, don't, don't do that fleshly thing. Just a better life. or Just walk the love life, alright? Is that Paul's meaning? There's no way he means that. Because he says just a few verses down that those who live According to the flesh, that's their pattern of life. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's verse 21. Works of the flesh and the fruit of love are not two ways or two options for living in the freedom that Christ set you free with. That's not His point. His point is, when you ongoingly live in the flesh, you're a slave. You're not free. The reason is because the freedom is the essence of faith, of trust. And Paul's defined that in Galatians this way. If you're a believer, he says, you see what's happened? God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our heart, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. The freedom of a Christian is the faith that is drinking of the eternal fountain of God. It is the freedom of walking in that process of being filled with joy in God who meets all your needs. And thus, you have something to overflow to others. 
called love. On the other hand, to live in the flesh. What does he mean here? He, remember, he's juxtaposing, putting up, loving others against following the desires of your sinful nature. The flesh. To live in the flesh means to act towards others horizontally in order to fill up your emptiness. In order to use them as a means to your goal. It's hard to decipher sometimes. Sometimes it's easy. Why do you think there's so much pain in marriages? They're not filling me. Again, to walk in the flesh means the way we are dealing with others around us is what's in it for me from them. I am empty, hungry for this, that, or the other. And therefore, I will relate to them this way, that way, or the other. And when I don't get it, my flesh will really be seen. I want you to notice just a couple of verses down. Paul lays out what the flesh looks like in relationship to others. In verse, start with verse 19. He says, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Huh? What do you mean? No, that's love. I love my boyfriend. I love my girlfriend. You don't know what love is. You are positioning them in a place under God's judgment for your satisfaction. It's flesh. It's not loving them for their ultimate good. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, sensuality, enmity, hatred towards them. Or strife, or jealousy, or fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, your goodness, <coughs> orgies. So when Paul says this opportunity for the flesh, what he means is don't give up your freedom. You remember how he said it a few verses earlier? I'm telling you, if you go the other way, the religious way this way, you will have been severed from Christ. You've given up your freedom. You've fallen from grace. He means don't give up your freedom. Don't give up the all-satisfying treasure who is Jesus Christ. Don't do that in order to return to the unsatisfying temporal pleasures of immoral sex and arrogance and boasting and pleasurable feelings in the here and now period today all summed up as selfishness. He says don't do it. But on the other hand, love. Love is the only behavior that we can do in the freedom for which Christ set us free. Absolutely. I've been forgiven so much. I was under God's wrath. And Jesus 
while I was yet a sinner, died for me, of course I will forgive you. Absolute, not only that, is there anything I could do now to help you with my time, my money, my talents? We've got so much in life here. I, I want to do that. That's what freedom does. It would be my joy to overflow with what God has given me to you. And so Paul says, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, even to the non-Christian, in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. But think about it. If deep down, sometimes you're really conscious of it, sometimes we're not so conscious of it. I want something from that person. I'm hungry. I need satisfaction. I need contentment. I've got to get something on my life. ain't going to go right. The more impatient we get with that person. But love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But it rejoices with the truth. Okay, so, so why, Paul? Why are you saying love is that way? Because love's motive at its core is not to get from the other person something it doesn't already have. That's why. When I need this, I don't have it, and you don't give it to me. Can you see that? I'm very familiar with these unloving emotions. That's why love acts this way, and it doesn't act that way, according to Paul. You're free. Love. Serve one another in love. And then in verses 14 and 15, okay, Paul has said, don't do this. Walk in the flesh. Serve in love. And then 14 and 15 come in. And Paul gives this positive and this negative reason you better obey this. Incentive to obey the love command. For, that, that, there it is, reason for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Negatively. But, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We've seen this numbers of times throughout Galatians. But in the giving of the law of Moses, God was always at and after people's hearts. The law was always intended to reach towards 
people's hearts who would be satisfied with His grace. Satisfied like Joshua. I'm not leaving. You go, Moses. I'm staying in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm staying in the presence of God. It was always reaching for those who would be satisfied with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, satisfied with God's love for them, that their lives would overflow in love. That's why Paul asked the question back in chapter 3. Is the law of Moses then against the, the promises of God's mercy and His grace? Answer, certainly not. His mercy was the purpose for all of redemption, for the giving of the law, which would ultimately point to Christ, which is the only way any human being can be saved. And they find themselves awakened and saved. And thus, Paul says, now walk in that freedom. And guess what? You're fulfilling the law. It's summed up. Love your neighbor. As you love yourself. So that command there in Leviticus, and Paul repeating it here, and Jesus repeating it, that command assumes everyone in this room has a deep-seated self-interest. Just assumes it. And it's called love for self. Meaning every single one of us here, we want to be happy. We want to be relieved of the toothache or any other physical pain, or emotional pain, or relational pain. We all want contentment. And if we find ourselves in a situation where food is scarce, we want a belly that is filled. We want a bed to sleep in. We want security. We want friends. We want meaning and purpose. Go on and on. He just assumes this. This is what it is to be human. Just listen for a moment how Paul gives an illustration of the essence of love, loving your neighbor as yourself, in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives, okay, how, how? As their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, his own physical body, but he nourishes it. He cherishes it. If he accidentally strikes his thumb with a hammer, he goes to the thumb and says, let's, let's stop hurting somehow. Give me medicine. And he says, Take that and love your wife. Christian, take that and love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It is a command to use your own longings for painlessness, for contentment, for happiness, for food, for security, for friendship. 
etc. To use your desire for those things as the barometer, as the model for feeling and for doing for others. Think about it. Not just in this room, in ten thousands of churches across the world today, but all these secular people out there in their church of exercise, whatever they're doing this morning, everyone likes the Ten Commandments. So let's just let's go to the second table, okay? The second part of the Ten Commandments. They all like them for other people. Why? They all want everyone else to obey those so that you don't kill me or murder me. That you don't steal my husband or my wife. That you don't lie about me or slander me. That you don't covet my stuff and be envious and jealous. I've got to work with you all day long. We, we all love the Ten Commandments. We want everyone else to do them. Okay. So take that. You would have others obey those when it comes to relationship with you. Therefore, love them as you would love yourself. That is the fulfilling of God's commands. We as husbands and wives, single people, as members of Sovereign Grace Fellowship, we are constantly desperate to walk in the freedom of faith in Jesus in order that we could be able to love one another. Because to the extent in this coming week that we don't walk in Bible reading with a prayerful, hungry heart in sermon hearing in... Fill me with Your joy, Lord Jesus. Let me meditate upon Your glorious Gospel and promises. To the extent we don't do that, it's to the extent we will turn on each other in order to get our hunger filled. That is, the hunger that we're not getting filled with God. And make every opportunity for the flesh is what we'll do. And act out in ugly ways. The history of humanity has always loved to use animals as anthropomorphisms, right? Turtle, turtle in the hair. Go on and on and on. Here's one. Mr. Lion in the plains of Africa Love your neighbor, the zebra, as yourself. You don't want to be eaten. Part of it being eaten alive. You don't want that, do you, lion? No. Then don't do it to the zebra. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite 
and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, there's the two options. And now I want to point out here. Oh, I want to get it. Before the loving act, there's something causing it. There's something prior to the loving act. A heart filled with God's grace. Paul calls it here. Freedom. Freedom producing love. And on the other hand, before the unloving act is a vicious, hungry, wild beast who pounces, as Paul puts it, bites and devours. See, this is why the love that the New Testament is talking about, the love of God for those whom Jesus is calling to Himself, it cannot be defined merely by the actions, by the deeds. Yes, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life in death for his friend. Absolutely. That is the greatest love. But Jesus' mouthpiece, Paul, would say something very strange later in 1 Corinthians 13. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to death, to be burned... But have not love, I gain nothing. He's just said, it is possible to do the act of far beyond the foundational 10% to give away everything and no love in it. It's possible, he says, to die, sacrifice your life, and somehow it not be coming from love. This means that all of our activities, our church going, feeding a hungry person, our teaching the Bible to others, our giving away everything we own, or just a portion, all of that can be done without love. Not the love that the New Testament is referring to. Because the Bible is radical. The Gospel is radical and God has a very radical agenda. He looks at the heart. Love that He's talking about springs from the Holy Spirit who indwells us as the fruit. As the fruit of the Holy Spirit causing us to experience the freedom of God's grace in Christ. And thus, 
the actions come. Oh, you really are hungry? Eat with me. You're lonely? I had other things to do, but I'll give you an ear and we'll be together. Teaching flows from it. Exhorting flows from it. Kindness flows from it. Giving away all you have and has been shown true love through many martyrs over the centuries and today. So, go back to our text in Galatians 5. I think what Paul says here helps us really get to the core of why Paul said what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. How can you do all these acts? What are you talking about? I did the act! And you can do it without love. Because you can do those things for whatever other motives, but they're not flowing from freedom. They're not flowing from the freedom of faith. Verse 6, remember? Working itself out through love. Those actions may not be motivated by the joy of sharing the joy God's given you in the freedom and the goodness of His heart saving you in Jesus Christ. And His heart by the Spirit filling you this day to overflow. You remember the context? I hope most of you do. Of 1 Corinthians 13, right? The whole point is, all kinds of actions are happening. I have the gift of teaching. I have the gift of tongues. Can't wait to show it off without caring about how it affects the community. Can't wait to show off my tongues. I have the gift of prophetic powers. All this is in 1 Corinthians 13. So through my hard study and teaching preparation, Paul is addressing all these kinds of things are happening without love. Without a care for how you are affecting others. You're making those things about you and getting filled with boasting. I feel so good. I did my gift. And I got the boast. And some people praised me. And I go home filled. And it's pure slavery. And it's not walking in the freedom for which Christ set us free. Yes, love is more than internal motivations. But it's not less. So I don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I am in desperate need to go to God every day through His Word, through prayer, begging that I experience His freedom and the power of His grace to overflow in love and joyfully serve others. It doesn't come naturally to me. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh But through love, serve one another. This command, 
to all Christians at all times everywhere is massive. It means desire to feed a hungry person as much as you would desire to be fed when you don't know where your next meal is coming from. It means desire to find a job for that brother or sister as much as you would want a job if you were in their situation. It means as much as you hate washing dishes or doing laundry as a husband, but you notice my wife's overwhelmed and that might really bless my bride of three years or 25 years or 40 years. Then, from the joy of her joy in the act, you go and you do it freely and joyfully. This command means desire to inquire of another person's life who has nothing to offer you. Desire to inquire of their life just as much as you would want other people to care about and inquire of your life by asking you questions. This command means desire to empathize with others' pain as much as you feel cared for when people feel deeply for you. It means desire to help the other student get an A in class as much as you want to get an A in that class. It means desire to bring Christ to friends, co-workers, neighbors, family members, as much as you are thrilled and happy and satisfied in Jesus. Okay, we can go on and on. Without freedom, that's overwhelming to me. Without the power of God, without being desperate to go to God, that is utterly overwhelming as I walk through my day. So as we go about our everyday lives, we're not talking about go do something extravagant. I know this, this is not the core of Christianity. It doesn't mean, hey, go to a church with 10,000 people, then you know that, you know, even though you tie there or you tie there, hey, it's a lot more money and look what we're doing. What are you doing every day? These commands deal with the very nitty gritty of how we Live. We must remember to obey them. We're utterly dependent upon walking in the freedom of the power of God. And so, just for an example, you wake up and you realize, I am tired still. I didn't get enough sleep. I am grumpy. My mind is cluttered. I, Whatever your day has in front of it, you're... So you get with God and you say, today, oh, let fruit come out of my life. And then you shut up and you listen to God by opening the Scripture. 
And you read, for instance, Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. But God, this is hard. I'm engaged. And it's real. Okay, God, help me therefore today. Help us have boundaries. Okay. So you pray. Put to death impurity, lusts, and evil desire, and covetousness. Put them all away. That is, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Instead, put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion for others. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another in the local church. And if one has a complaint against anyone, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God is merciful. Those words are merciful. But if we just leave them on a page and say, let me go do them, I'm a dead man. We are desperate for the work of the Spirit of Christ daily in our lives. We are in great need of prayer and obedience to the Scriptures by first going vertical constantly. Love is motivated, I'm saying, yes, by the joy that we experience by the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us because of the cross of Christ. The way we are to live, though, let me say this so that I'm not misinterpreted. Well, if true love is connected to whether I'm joyful in God, well, I realize right now I have zero joy in being kind to my husband. So I don't have to do it according to Pastor Joe's sermon. Baloney, you misunderstood everything. I don't feel like tithing this week, so I won't tithe because it would be inauthentic. Not what I'm saying. It's not a Christian. What a Christian is, is... I see that. I don't have joy in you now. So run to Him. And do what He told you to do. You be kind. But just don't run from God to do it. Use you go, please God, vertically. Help me be kind and caring and compassionate. Help me bear the fruit of patience where I'm going to so easily lose it today. And keep going. That's the dynamic of this messy Christian life. It's no accident that Paul describes in verse 15 of our text what wild beasts do when they are starving. Not when they're content. 
Lions look at zebras all the time. Hi, zebra. They've had their fill. But when they're not full, they're going to chase that, whatever a zebra flock is. Andrew might know. They're going to chase one down. So the question is, do you come to church with a wild beast mentality of a hunger and go away angry, bitter and disappointed because no one talked to you or served you or met your needs? Or do you purposely get enough sleep so you can get up in time and go vertical, have your Bible open at home, find your joy in Christ, and so that you're ready to come here and serve one another in love and overflow. When we are not walking in truth, in prayer, in seeking to find our emptiness filled with God and happiness in who God is to us, then in the midst of any circumstances, Paul says here, we will easily eat up people around us. Starts in the home and works its way out. But we're called to live here in the continual freedom of going to the Father in a spirit of brokenness to be filled in order to overflow in love the joy of serving and thus acting for the benefit of the other and not the flesh and so we're going to be singing in a couple seconds and as we do we will be passing out the communion elements the bread and the cup if you are a baptized believer in Jesus, feel free to partake. We're going to hold them together and pray over them together. But as we do, don't, don't all walk away yet. As you do, note what we're doing here in the remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross is we remember that table the night before. Everything that was said here and is said in our text. He purchased by His blood to make us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, believer, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Let's go vertical and stand and joyfully sing unto this great Savior.